Feeling inspired by hosts Ron and Tyler to work on your health? The Movie Buffs podcast is brought to you by Time to Train Fitness, your home for on-demand workouts for every level of fitness. Exercise with amazing certified instructors that want you to push through any barriers. At Time to Train Fitness, you'll find quality workouts across six class formats, including indoor cycling, HIIT, bar, yoga, strength training, and dance cardio. Stream brand new classes releasing every week in our 450 plus on-demand workout library. Use the link in the description to view all of the membership options and to start a free five-day trial. Get ready to press play on your next workout. Hey everybody, Ron Jam here, and I'm excited to talk to you today about our sponsor. For any of my fellow fitness buffs out there who love to train, you also know that hard training leads to aches and pains, and that's why I love today's sponsor, Royal and Pure CBD. Their philosophy is to enhance your life with pure ingredients that you and your pet can feel good taking. Royal and Pure products combine the healing properties of hemp-derived CBD with other active botanical ingredients to enrich your daily activities and ease the aches, inflammation, and pains that come from being active, aging, or just daily life. I use their salve on all my achy spots, especially on my recovery days, and I always use their PM tincture to help me get a great night's sleep and recover to hit it hard the next day. They're offering our listeners 20% off at checkout by using code RONJAM20. So if you're interested in checking out their great products and seeing just how helpful they can be, visit royalandpure.com and use code RONJAM20 at checkout for 20% off. Okay, time for the show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Movie Buffs podcast. This is another brand new episode of Back Day, which means one thing. I'm all alone. No one can stop me from talking all the shit I want about anything and everything. And that is kind of the point of today's episode. If you looked at the title, it should say we're talking about Spider-Man 1 from 2002, which, as you should have all known, is probably not what I'm going to be talking about for most of the time. (laughs) Uh, our Spider-Man 1 is going to be our jumping off point. I got a lot of shit I want to talk about today. So Spider-Man 1, 2002, we all know it, we all love it. It was directed by Sam Raimi, starring Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst, Willem Dafoe, and James Franco. First, I want to talk about, obviously, we don't need to go over the plot synopsis. It's been done. We've all seen it. We all loved it. I want to talk about what this meant to comic book movies and what it meant to me when it came out. So before this, we had had a few good, well-received, very profitable comic book movies that had shown that there is a market there. Obviously, started way back in the day, even with Superman, uh, with Batman 1989. But as far as that current time, we're talking about Blade, which came out first, which was awesome. Uh, You know, the X-Men, which was awesome. And then we got Spider-Man, right? Well, the thing about Spider-Man that took a really hard left turn from these other comic book properties, uh, as far as Blade and X-Men are concerned, is that those comic book properties were taken seriously. Yes, they treated it like it mattered, but they were almost afraid of treating it like what it was, right? We didn't have the costumes, right? Blade in the comic books is a British man. He usually wears a disco collar. All kinds of wild shit happens in there. They kind of toned it down. They made him more badass. Uh, and it is the version we see most often in the comic books now. Wesley Snipes killed it. He, uh, as Aaron and I have said in our trivia episode, has the greatest quote of all time in, I think it's Blade Trinity, where he says, some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate up a hill, but that, alas, is an aside. So they made it very serious, right? The X-Men, they even make a joke at the expense of the comic book accurate costumes. And Wolverine looks down and says, I'm a little tight in the leather. And Cyclops says, what would you prefer, yellow spandex? Which in the context of the movie makes no sense. If he doesn't know about the comic books, then why would he think that's even an option? But anyway, my point is that at the time, everyone was so afraid to do something comic booky, right? They didn't want colorful. They didn't want it to be fun. It had to be serious. 
And then Sam Raimi comes along and says, no, I'm going to do Spider-Man. And this movie is big and it's colorful and it's bombastic. And Willem Dafoe is excellent. He's just chewing up scenery. But he's also playing this wonderful duality of Norman Osborn that, spoiler alert, we got to all see in its glory once again in last year's Spider-Man No Way Home. I almost forgot the name there. All the home names. I love those movies. Stupid names. Hard to remember which one's which. But anyway, so Sam Raimi said, hold my beer. I'm making this comic book accurate. And we all loved it, right? It was a benchmark for what a blockbuster could be as far as monetarily concerned, as far as critics loved it, fans loved it. It was a renaissance for Spider-Man, which has always been one of Marvel's top tier characters. But it was a huge moment for me as a 10-year-old at the time when it came out uh, as a comic book fan. It was awesome. So I had to go see it with my dad and my brother, and it was so awesome. So, you know, I go back and I watch it recently, and it, it... it, yes, it holds up. Absolutely. It's a wonderful movie. It was so fun. It does probably better than any other movie encapsulate what Spider-Man's all about, right? About the responsibility, about the difficulties that it takes to juggle those two lives, about being an outcast, about being a nerd, about being different than everybody else. It was a lot of stuff that, like I said, cuts to the core of the character, but also resonates with fans like me and like many, many others, obviously. The movie made hella money. That being said, Upon rewatch, you know, there are things that stand out, right? Like I said, it is very comic booky. It leans a little camp, um, sometimes to its detriment. You know, there's some stuff that just <laughs> is a little goofy and not in the fun, funny way, in the kind of like, this is distracting way, at least for me. I know Sam Raimi tends to go big. He goes a little over the top. You know, if you've seen the Evil Dead series, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but, you know, everything has its tone and it, the goofy stuff does fit the tone, but for me, it doesn't hold up quite the same um, now looking back some 20 years later. Some of the stuff that doesn't hold up to me are like when the goblin bombs turn people into skeletons and, you know, some of the interactions with the high schoolers just makes no sense. And it's back in the era where every high schooler was 28 years old. I mean, literally, the guy who plays Flash Thompson in this movie is Joe Manganiello of True Blood and Deathstroke fame, and he's six foot five. He's like 28, 29 years old very clearly that old and it, it it's it just pops out at you in the opening scene where they're all at the um the museum or the whatever the lab they're at when peter gets bit you could not tell me that you could pick out who was the student who was the teacher if they didn't say i mean the guy that played the teacher looked like 12 inches and 12 years younger than joe manganello it's it's a little ridiculous even toby mcguire he's, he's got a young face but he was definitely a grown-ass man one of the things that i talked about that doesn't quite hold up for me in this movie that I also mentioned in one of our our previous episodes where we covered Spider-Man, No Way Home, I got it that time, is that for me, a lot of Sam Raimi's, um, a lot of his aesthetic kind of feels like sets, right? A a lot of this movie feels like if you pan to the left or the right of frame, there's nothing there. And anybody who's been on a television or movie set or, or seen anything behind the scenes, you know that there usually isn't, right? But the whole point is to suspend that disbelief and feel like, hey, if we turned around, there'd be a whole world still living and there's still Spider-Man in this world. But this movie kind of feels like everything that's just outside the set does not exist. And it kind of always feels a little hollow to me, like all the sets and everything looks too clean and too perfectly put together. Uh, You know, I didn't say it about Sam Raimi. I was talking about Guillermo del Toro has the same kind of aesthetic where everything feels very built. It doesn't feel... The verisimilitude of the scene is a little bit broken because it feels so artificial. That doesn't come down to budget. It's just, you know, the aesthetic of the director, and that's fine. But this all got me thinking, right? 
Spider-Man 1, it's a great movie. I wanted to reiterate that again. I loved it. I just want to talk about some of the stuff that popped out in my mind. But that reminded me and got me thinking about nostalgia. You know, it's been 20 years on from this movie that was a watershed moment in the superhero genre that meant a lot to me and my brother and a lot of people I know. And so it got me thinking, you know, what else do we see through these nostalgia rose-tinting glasses? And that's really what I want to talk about today. And I just want to mention, yes, I'm talking about Spider-Man 1 in honor of Morbius coming out. I did see it earlier this week, and we'll be discussing it in next week's episode, but I want to assure you, you do not, I repeat, you do not, and probably should not, see Morbius before our review episode. It will not affect you at all. Uh, actually, one of our games that's coming up in next week's episode is going to be me, quote-unquote, reviewing it to Tyler, and his dumbass is going to have to guess what parts I made up or not. It's going to be a blast. You'll enjoy it either way. It'll be more fun if you haven't seen the movie, to be honest, so check that out. Anyway, back to my topic. This rewatch and rethink of Spider-Man 1, which is like I said, a seminal film in the superhero genre. It was a pop culture phenomenon. It got me thinking about other stuff that you love, but maybe isn't so great, right? So we're going to talk about nostalgia. Now, I can't talk about nostalgia and memories without directing you back to our first episode of Back Day, where I talked about my favorite movie of all time, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, a movie that is almost entirely about memory. Um, and in which I mentioned why I feel such a connection to that movie and why I think a lot of us end up with the media we love being so stuck inside of us. And that reason is because, you know, a lot of the stuff that people end up loving for their whole lives, they'll get exposed to at a young age. So it creates this deeper bond than maybe is necessitated by the text or even deserved by the text. So for instance, I'm going to talk about my first thing that I, I recently went back and watched, and that's Power Rangers. Now, growing up, I was going to be a Power Ranger. I was going to be the fucking Green Ranger and you couldn't tell me shit. If you try to tell me I couldn't grow up to be the fucking Green Ranger, I would have spin kicked you in the head and got out my freaking dragon dagger and I would have blown on the little freaking flute that comes on the side and I would have brought the dragon sword to beat your shit, dude, because I was going to be a Power Ranger. I went out and I got a black belt in Taekwondo. I was the hardest working little tiny kid in this Taekwondo class, trying to get all the sparring in, going extra days to get my black belt because I was going to be a Power Ranger. That's how much this shit meant to me. And I go back now, and obviously it's entirely unwatchable. It is objectively bad, right? It Those first seasons are terrible. I have love for all the actors. I still love it. It means a lot to me, but I would not watch it. Now, maybe one day if I have children and they want to watch it, sure, we'll do it. I'll show them how to throw some kicks, but... It's one of those things I go back and I'm like, oh man, I really wish I hadn't sullied this by knowing how bad it really is. Uh, in that same vein, there was a show called Beetleborgs, which Beetleborgs, VR Troopers, uh, they were badass. They were ostensibly just Power Rangers ripoffs. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, the way the Power Rangers came to be was that uh, an American company called Saban, they bought the rights to uh, these Japanese shows called Super Sentai. And Super Sentai is the... Uh, the action portion, right? So that's the the masked heroes fighting in giant robots, fighting giant monsters. So they bought that, they spliced it out, they brought American actors to create a story around it, and that's how Power Rangers came to be. That is why it's objectively bad, because it's different shows jammed together, and oftentimes it'd be clips from like five or six different episodes of the Super Sentai spliced into one episode of Power Rangers. It was so off, in fact, that Trini, the Yellow Ranger, was a male Power Ranger in the Japanese version, and they just said, F it, There's not, we're not going to explain why the Pink Ranger and the Yellow Ranger look differently, even though they're like 
gender specific costumes were identified with a skirt for some reason but trini didn't have one and that's why because the actor who played the yellow ranger in the japanese version was in fact a male actor and they switched it to a female anyway so it was a freaking hodgepodge and beetleborgs and vr troopers was a knockoff of a hodgepodge so of course you go back and you watch it and it's no offense everybody worked hard on it i'm sure i still have love for it in my heart but it is absolute dog shit okay they're so bad, but I still love them. But just going back, it's, it's not very great, right? Um, and it, it's just one of those things. I feel like they always say never meet your heroes. Maybe never rewatch your favorite stuff because it'll probably fall down uh, given, you know, current circumstances and current social norms and your current taste. You know, people change, people grow up, people learn more, but the media we consume and the things we love they don't change, right? It stays the same thing. Sometimes it gets shittier. Sometimes you go back and you watch something like, wow, this was better than I thought, you know? And other times you'll go back and rewatch a Dane Cook stand-up and cannot remember where you laughed when you watched it in 2006. That's also a thing I recently did. I didn't get too far into it. I do love stand-up comedy. It's just so odd going back now to see his jokes. I was like, I get it why I loved it at 12 or 13, but uh, as a 25-year-old or some other age man, uh, not so much. I've matured past it just a bit. Uh, another thing I went back and rewatched for nostalgia purposes, that because uh, Tyler had mentioned it last episode, was The Proposal with Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock. And I remember I even said, I love that movie. It's a great movie. I went back. Not great movie. It's not great. I mean, their chemistry is still good. Sandra Bullock, I know the point of her character is that she's an asshole. She says a lot of sus stuff. And as a Mexican person, a lot of it, because the whole movie revolves around her being deported she has a lot of negative things to say about immigrants specifically mexican immigrants and it got me really mad um and i'm not one to to be easily dissuaded by things like that i understand uh you know creative license or whatever but it got me more upset because i was like oh this does it i remember it sitting better i remember the movie being better and also because she was married to that nazi at the time remember that guy jesse james the guy from uh freaking monster garage or whatever it was yeah, that guy was, he had SS symbols all over his arm tattooed on him. She was married to that guy at the time. So thinking back now, when she says some of that hateful stuff, it's like, I don't know how, um, you know, how character that was. I, even if it's not something she believes, I'm not saying it's something she believes. I'm just saying as someone who was married to a guy who was physically branded with Nazi idolatry, it's a little suspect when you start saying racist shit in a movie and it just all came together for me. It didn't sit well. So, you know, sometimes it's good to go back for nostalgia and see that something's crappy or not is great because you remember, so it didn't sit well with me. You know, I'm sure the movie was fine after that, but once I saw that, it kind of reminded me of all that, that stuff about her personal life and about, you know, maybe, uh, you know, some of the, the crappy stuff that gets said about, uh, my people. Uh, and it, I just couldn't sit through the, will they, won't they, and the bickering when you're like, uh, doesn't feel great. <sighs> anyway, so that's my little spiel, my little run on nostalgia. Now, speaking of nostalgia, you know, we all have these heroes in movies. Uh, we have heroes in media. And one of the weird things to navigate is, like I said, people change and people get older, but the media doesn't. And sometimes it's it's for the worse, like with the proposal or Beetleborgs. And sometimes it's for the best. And one of those examples that I wanted to talk about was with the unfortunate stories that have come out about Bruce Willis. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, Bruce Willis has announced his retirement from acting uh, due to uh, his battle with aphasia. Um, if you don't know what that is, that is a loss or impairment of the power to <clears throat> use or comprehend words, usually resulting from brain damage as in a stroke, head injury, or infection. 
And as you might imagine, this illness uh, is devastating to anybody, but obviously he can no longer act. Um, it's a weird, oddly emotional uh, for me to bring up that illness because uh, when my grandfather was ill towards the end of his life, he was suffering from aphasia. And it's, it's really hard. It's hard to see somebody you know and you love um, deal with that. Um, it's one of those things, one of those horrible, uh, like, like most degenerative brain diseases as well. It's one of those things, there's nothing you can do about it, but just, you know, observe and, uh, it sucks. But, you know, one of the great things about the media staying the same, even as a person changes and grows old and sometimes has horrible things happen to them is that we have all these beautiful, wonderful, iconic performances by this man, Bruce Willis, you know, from, freaking Die Hard to Pulp Fiction to Unbreakable to, you know, uh, Moonrise Kingdom, all kinds of stuff. He's got all this wonderful body of work that we can all look back on and enjoy. But that got me thinking, you know, there's been a lot of talk lately about the weird movies he's been doing and, and why does it seem like, you know, he's been in anything. And so it all becomes clear when you find out like how obviously this has been affecting him for a while. It's just gotten to the point where he can no longer work through it. And, uh, you know, you understand why he was taking movies that maybe were below his grade of star and below his his skill level because he knew that there would come the point where he can no longer work right and it would maybe happen abruptly and he's been wealthy for a long time i'm sure he's got a lifestyle and bills to maintain and he's got a family to support so you you think back now you're like oh man that really stinks i wish we would have known that you know so you people had negative things to say about him or his career trajectory and you're like well you don't know and that is kind of a point I want to talk about too, that a lot of the times, or almost all the time, what we see about public figures is just that. It's their public facing persona. You can't forget that these are people. So sure, it was easy jokes. And a lot of us, I'm sure I've made a joke or two, like, you know, it's like, oh, what is he doing? It seems like he doesn't care. It seems like he's not really there. And, you know, we don't know that on the other side that he's going through something horrible and his family's going through it together. And they're all just quietly hearing all the comments and not saying anything. Uh, and it, it's a bummer, you know, you think about it, how it would feel to be on the other side of that. And that's why it's always important to remember that public figures, actors, sports stars, you name it, they're people too. <laughs> a funny example of that is I had a friend uh, who played in the NFL for many years and he got traded from, sorry, actually his first team he played with was the New York Giants. And he was somewhere and someone was like, hey, blah, blah, Giants suck. And he didn't react. And this guy came up to me and said, like, oh, man, hey, Giants suck, dude. Cowboys all the way. And he's like, okay, man, great. Have a great day. And the heckler couldn't understand for the life of him why my buddy was not upset. And it never dawned on the heckler, but it obviously dawned on us as being his friends, that the players on your favorite teams aren't necessarily on their favorite team, right? They're clocking into work. Like if you go to, say, McDonald's and say, hey, I prefer Burger King, dude the guy at the cash register is not going to flip out and take it personally. He's going to go, okay, maybe go there. I don't care. They're paying me to be here. Uh, so that's just one of the things that you got to think about. Like, like, you know, heckling a sports star because they're not on a team you like, or it, it's ridiculous. They're, they're at work and oftentimes they don't pick what team they're on. So don't be a dick about it. And it goes the same with all these actors and singers and stuff. Like, sure. People say, oh, well, they chose to be famous, whatever. Yes, they are living probably their dream. They're living a wonderful life. They wanted, for the most part, they wanted to perform. They wanted to do the action. And obviously, when you do something, you want to be good at it. You want to be recognized. And with that notoriety for your skill often does come fame. But that doesn't mean that they instantly become unaffected by things you do or say to them. 
or that they're any less of a person. Another example that comes to mind is Chris Rock, right? I'm not going to go over all this shit that happened, but have you ever had something embarrassing happen to you, say like at high school, right? Say something, somebody pranked you, something went wrong, blah, blah, blah. It moves on the next day. I don't know about you, but whenever anything like that happened to me, just because no one was currently talking about it or that it happened last week, when you walk into a room, I would, you'd get that like hot sensation in your chest. Your ears would get red because you're like, were they just making fun of me? Are they thinking about the thing that happened? Is everybody, you know, is everybody waiting for something silly to happen to me because I'm the butt of the joke now? And again, I know he's well off. He's been famous forever. He's a comedian. He can handle stuff. But you just worry for a guy who is a public worldwide figure to have that on that such a, you know, expanded sense. You know, I could imagine you walk into a classroom full of 30 people and like 15 of them know something weird happened to you or whatever, something embarrassing happened. You feel like shit and it ruins your day. I could not imagine being somebody who is known by millions, if not billions of people. So everywhere you go, you have to know they already know who you are. So they already have expectations. And now this embarrassing, terrible thing happened to you that you just got to live with. I know it's just a microcosm because so many worse things have happened to so many people. But my point is just that. These are people, right? And it's something I think about. Um, I'm thinking of Will Smith for that matter too. I mean, we've all been on the other side of this as well, where you do something embarrassing. Maybe you're at a party the weekend and you get too drunk and you make an ass of yourself and then everybody gets together a few weeks later. Now you you feel bad and you feel like a jerk. And it's kind of the same thing on the other end for the opposite reason, but it was your fault. So maybe you feel even worse. I don't know. Uh, I assume these people aren't sociopaths because if they are, then it doesn't matter to them. And then I'm, I'm worrying for no reason. But I just want to point out, these are people, and uh, maybe treat them like such. If you ever interact with them or you're talking online, you know, they're just people. Uh, They're just people, and they have health and mental health issues, and they have personal lives that can often be really messed up by something that we think is, is innocuous, right? Speaking of people with, you know, mental health problems and health problems, just like the jokes that everybody makes about what seems to be Kanye West's never ending meltdown, the guy is not well right? He's, he's just not well. Sure. He's worth all the money in the world and he, he will tell you he's okay. But from personal experience, I've dealt with people that are, that have had very serious mental illnesses and to the point where I've had people literally, it's almost like they do not exist anymore. Uh, I'm not going to go too much information on that, but I've had these issues and it's kind of the same thing. They'll tell you they're absolutely fine. Well, purposely not taking their medication and not seeking the help they need. And it gets to a point where the human mind can only take so much. Um, So yeah, Kanye West's behavior might seem funny because he's a billionaire. He could take it. But again, it's it's a man having a horrible time in his life. And I wished somebody was around him to to help him out. And that's something I always think about too with with fame is that some people don't start off as sociopaths or don't start off as egomaniacs, but they end up that way because they You surround yourself with hangers on and yes men and, you know, your agent and manager and all of them are designed to tell you that you're the best and to get other people to treat you like you're the best. So you make as much money as possible. So they make as much money as possible. And it creates this weird, horrible cycle that you see happen so often. Another example that we've just seen in the news is Ezra Miller, the star of The Flash. He was in Justice League. He was just in the new Fantastic Beast movie. This guy cannot stop getting into trouble and having meltdowns and it's very odd that nobody has brought it up um you know warner brothers hasn't mentioned anything it's just very odd Uh, a couple of years ago actually there was a video of a fan approaching him and she asked him a question he grabs her by the throat starts choking her and slams her on the ground and that's that's it 
He said, oh, it was a joke, but he really did it. The people who made the video didn't said it was not a joke. This really happened. He said, no, it was a joke. And everybody just kind of forgot about it. And apparently he's had terrible behavior on set. He's assaulted people. He very recently got arrested for screaming at uh, these 22-year-olds at a uh, karaoke bar for doing karaoke. And then a couple bailed him out and he was staying with them. Then he broke into their room and said, I will kill you in your bed and then stole from them and then left and got arrested again. And he's still getting paid presumably millions of dollars to be in Fantastic Beasts and in The Flash. And it's just insane the, the amount of behavior that people will cover up or ignore because it's making them money. Uh, and obviously this is another person who needs serious help because this is not something you just decide to do. This is somebody who's not in touch with reality and is probably having a very serious mental health crisis. But when you become the meal ticket for enough people, you also stop being a human to those people. Uh, and that's pretty sad. So I don't know if this episode was very fun or not. Um, I enjoyed making it. I always do enjoy making these. This was me uh, talking my shit, just kind of popping off at the mouth. I had a couple things I wanted to get off my chest, want to talk about, and hopefully you all enjoyed it. If you like this type of episode, uh, we have a whole series of back day. I think three of them are me. One of them's Tyler. This will be number four. That's me. And obviously we have all our regular episodes. Stay tuned next week for our Morbius episode, kind of. Like I said, it's more me bullshitting again. <laughs> but back to my point. So what, how does this all come back together, right? I want to bring this together with reminding you that public figures are people. Everybody deserves to be empathized with, almost everybody <laughs> empathized with and taken care of. And I want to connect that to a fitness takeaway, right? What happens a lot of times with these people, their egos get out of control because they only have people around them whose job it is to boost that ego, to convince them they're amazing and they're worth all the money in the world. So that way the people telling them that can get some of that money. And it's so important to humble yourself, to humble yourself. And remember that you're just a person, right? You're not anyone special. Uh, you might be really good at something or people might like you, but that doesn't make you any better than anybody else. You're just a person. And for me, that's why I think it's so important to go to the gym. <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but I forgot who said the quote, but you know, men lie, women lie, freaking your friends lie, family lie, but 200 pounds is always 200 fucking pounds. All right. You want to feel like you're tough shit. Let's go to the gym, pick a workout, get your ass kicked. Do something that's too hard for you. Remind yourself that you are, in fact, just some guy <laughs> or some gal or some person. You're just somebody. You're not that person. You're not that guy. You're not that girl. You're not the freaking billboard. You're not your money. You're not your job. You're just a person. You're just a brain and a soul and a spirit, whatever you want to say, in a big bag of meat and bones, and that's it. And how you want to be remembered by other people or how you want other people to feel when they're around you is all about how you act and how you treat them. So go to the gym, do something difficult, remind yourself that you're just a person and try to keep yourself from becoming an egomaniac. And I think <laughs> in some people's cases, you know, instead of having some hangers on and having people that just make money off them, they could have probably benefited from keeping around their real life friends or real life people or anything that would remind them that they're just some person. And for me, that is the gym. Um, that's my big takeaway. I don't know if this made any goddamn sense, but you know, it's back day, baby. So I say whatever I want. And, um,
that's it. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, share with somebody. Uh, I promise next week's episode will be funnier, but uh, this is one I wanted to share with y'all. So if you liked it, throw me a comment. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at moviebuffs underscore podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes. Thank you so much for checking this episode out. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here listening to me talk some shit, and I appreciate that, and I'll never forgive you for it. (laughs) All right, everybody. Stay buff. Bye. Feeling inspired by hosts Ron and Tyler to work on your health? The Movie Buffs podcast is brought to you by Time to Train Fitness. Use the link in the description to view all of the membership options and to start a free five-day trial. Get ready to press play on your next workout.